think we need to do the generic, like, does it work? I think every <laughs> video call starts with, does it work to get going? But thanks for joining today. Uh, on, on this part here, we're going to be going through our industrial assets. I'm going to take a look at the market as a whole and then kind of more define a little bit uh, more specific on what our vision of industrial is and, and what we're seeing uh, on our assets and in the space we're operating in. So kind of limits us to the Southeast and, and typically smaller deals, but uh, got Josh here, myself. So we are going to kick things off. And I think industrial as a whole has been, uh, has been pretty hot. It's like demand is, is demand endless. I think that could be a, a theme for industrial and if that's actually going to continue to go forever. And the biggest, you know, this, this just in time, you know, delivery service, just in time delivery and the cost of transportation is really just relocated industrial. So industrial used to be, I used to be in manufacturing. Um, my good friend Charles on the line, uh, we used to go to manufacturing plants all the time. They were really just built in the middle of nowhere. And now, you know, all, new version industrial are all being built basically in suburban settings, right on the highway access, really close to urban centers. Yeah. That's, that's like the big, big industrial complexes though. Right. You're working in <laughs> different setting than what yeah. we're looking at. So, so when we think about industrial as a whole, normally you're driving down the highway and you see, you know, 500 doors on the, or 500 bays on the side of a building. You're like, wow, that's big industrial and warehousing that all kind of all falls into that bucket that what, that we look at. So when we're looking at industrial, it's not just like heavy manufacturing. We're looking at everything from warehousing to just big, big box flex to single user uh, stores yep. that are out there. But in general, all of that has had, all of that has performed phenomenally well over the past really five years. Mm -hmm. We, you know, Josh and I together, we've, we've been investing in, in industrial deals for about 10 years, mm -hmm. mostly down in Texas or only in Texas, I would say, <laughs> uh, kind of all over that area. So that's really where we were learning about it and, and just seeing how it was performing. Texas had some phenomenal growth. But then we look at Atlanta. You know, we're based in Atlanta in, in the southeast, everything up 85 corridor. You know, you drive up 85, whether you're going into, into the Carolinas or if you're going up towards Nashville, you see massive developments on the side of the highway. And those things uh, nationally – Nationally, the past two years, we've had over 500 million square feet of that type of asset come on board, which is staggering amount of space. And for the most part, we've also seen uh, continuing to improve uh, rents that whole time frame. And a big player in this space, Amazon, it's kind of like the, if you're going to build something, Amazon's going to take it mentality. We're starting to see that, that really end. Like, I think Amazon's come out and they've said that they're not, you know, they're they're not just gobbling up any space that's available anymore. Yeah, Amazon's really dictated the new construction build and the, the structure, the style, the access. It all has to basically be built to their specs. Um, and then all the uh, distributors that distribute through Amazon have to follow Amazon specs as well. So they've really been driving a lot of the industrial growth and infrastructure, basically requiring that new development has to be made because of the ceiling heights, because of the access, because of locations. Yeah. And there's, there's many things that driving that demand. I mean, the, the Amazon, the e-commerce push, it's about 10% of retail sales now. So there's, there's definitely a, a push with that driving it. Also, just the sheer amount of stuff that people have been buying. The past two years, especially, I think, I'm not, not necessarily, I think, but like the, the demand of consumer goods over the past two years, not only have consumers had more money, they've also been spending more. So that, that drive is really pushing, uh, pushing the need for this kind of space. 
And then logistics has been a nightmare. So all those things really have, have compounded to drive, one, the pricing and the rents that we're seeing in these segments. But I want to I split a little bit, and that's kind of like the market as a whole, but our spaces, uh, the stuff that we're typically buying is, say, 10 to 100,000 square feet spread across a couple buildings. So we have a lot of like 10 or 15 or 20,000 square foot buildings, and the supply of those has been not existing. They're not building more. They're not building any more <laughs> of those. They're building giant complexes. They're not building like a 10 or 20,000 square foot building in our We are not seeing that in the Southeast that they're building. Mostly everything is suburban, highway, million square foot type yep. of deal. Huge footage space. Yep. And the stuff that we're looking to buy when we think about industrial is more of this uh, already existing, gone through multiple uses, and more closer in than most new development stuff, right? So we're not talking, we're not buying something that's urban, but but closer into the bigger city. So our typical user is only taking like five or, or 10,000 square feet. That's, right. a, that's, a main, that's a main user for us. And there's been no supply added to that really. Right, and predominantly catering to small businesses that have one location or maybe two locations on different parts of the city, but for the most part, one location that... Um, the flex design, which is generally speaking, 30% office, 70% warehouse, um, is really suits all their needs. They can they can house their really front office infrastructure and team and call center in the front of it. Yep. And then all the storage of from whether it's a painting supply place or whether it's HVAC or plumbing. Um, we have we have one that uh was a spa. Yeah, well, they oh, well, it but sounds different. They, they it's build, not a yeah, jacuzzi, they build jacuzzi tubs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh <laughs> Yes, drop in like swimming pool, jacuzzi tubs. Yes. Right. So you're storing that a big giant big thing. thing. And sometimes they're in pieces, but you need a lot of square footage for that. That tenant, for example, they had 7,000 square feet and they're looking to go to, to about 20,000 total, which is taking a whole building because that is 20,000 square feet is the building. Yep. And they need to be, you know, this, this building, this specific case is in Norcross. Norcross is really just, it, it, I mean, it's, very much the in the center of Atlanta. Interesting to see. Know, I, I don't know what direction you're going with. Uh, oh, no, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's right in the heat. Bit. <laughs> we live right here, so it's like I wonder where he's going with this. Yeah. But no, and, and those kind of things you don't want to be transporting those very far. Right. <laughs> so once you've got your your location here, you know their their service area is pretty narrow. So most of our industrial flex users, their service area is very small. Right. That we're going for. Uh, so. That's where we're at. That's the that's the space that we kind of are, are looking at and looking to invest in, versus what you kind of see as a whole on on industrial and in kind of the what's happening. The market is building a ton, seeing huge driving in rents, all based on you know really the Amazon growth was probably slowing and 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 as they're trying to slow the economy down a little bit. We'll, their goal is to see a little bit of a decrease in consumer spending. So those things should put some, some downward pressure on the bigger industrial type buildings. Whereas the industrial flex that's closer, these smaller, smaller stuff. I mean, everyone is impacted if there's consumer spending that declines. Um, but we're still looking at the smaller businesses that have a, have a smaller operating footprint that they're going in. Right. And, and then the, you know, the other thing that industrial flex really competes with is really low cost suburban office, which obviously we do a lot of as well. And, um, Industrial flex is still priced about 30% below low density, low cost suburban office. So it, you know, it still is really that value option for most users. I mean, our first, our first office was a 
industrial <laughs> flex building. We, we, we had two different suites that we occupied that for almost eight years that uh, we operated out of a industrial flex space with, we, we kind of converted between storage and office, you know, as we needed. Again, it was pretty darn flexible. Yep, so we were there and it was the cheapest rent that we could find. Exactly. So, uh, so that, that's where we're still seeing our occupancy and this stuff has been doing very well because of that. Our, our go-to project is typically buying something that has some vacancy. And we've done that in the, in the past, really with, with four different deals, our, our Kennesaw deal, our Doraville deal, Dawson Flex, which is what uh, you, know, you were mentioning. We, we just had a tent that wants to negotiate more of space there. We, we bought that with two, really two vacant buildings and they're aiming to take over one of the full ba- vacant buildings. Uh, Kennesaw is another example of, of a space where we had four suites that uh, we whittled it down to one occupied and then leased out the remainder three of those. Dorville's four suites and we leased all of those out. Again, in that same you know, average 5,000 square foot uh, tenant, I think one at Kennesaw was up to 9,000 square feet, but for the average 5,000 square feet. And we rented all of those in the first two quarters here that we were able to get between really three and five year leases, 4% escalations, uh, CAM. Yep. So we're getting good, strong leases and seeing a lot of demand for that space. We don't have a whole lot of vacancy right now in industrial in our flex deals. We have a little bit of Covington and Dawson. Right. But- and the, and the, one of the bigger opportunities on the market is that people that bought these industrial flex properties over the last three, four or five years, rents have run so much that they leased them up or signed or inherited leases in the six to $8 range. And now new leases are being signed between 10 and $12 a square foot with 4% yeah. escalations. So we can go in and they, they can exit a deal and be in a good position. And we can go in and take a deal and move it to a good position in a pretty short period of time. And everyone yeah. wins. Yeah, we're typically taking an asset and, and we're assuming that risk of releasing and doing that. We, we look at the Kennesaw deal. It was a deal that was uh, three of four suites were occupied. Everyone went below market rents. And when we bought the deal, our plan was like, well, if they don't, they're either going to bring them more to market or they're going to leave. And two of them left and then we were able to release them. That's, you know, there's some definite work that goes into that and in, in, in time. I mean, from a cash flow on the deal, you know, that was the first nine months of not really having, not necessarily not having cash flow, but like we're not making distributions in that time frame because we are working on the occupancy story and the value story there before we're making distributions. So a lot of times that's a good situation where a seller could be motivated to sell something. And they're like, look, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to do that. I'd rather just take my money. I'm going to make some money on it. And these next guys being us, you know, their firm can come in and, and do that kind of heavy lift to turn the deal around. So we still see opportunities with that. I mean, that's really the core of what we're looking at trying to find is those type of deals. Uh, we're not, we're not doing, we don't really have anything on the big, on the big side. Yeah. We're not doing any of those bigger deals. So we don't really have any, like, is that going well or is that not going well? Uh, especially with, you know, we mentioned about 500 million square feet. That's a lot of absorption that needs to take place. If Amazon slows down, the news or the, or the general media is going to be more time about that type of demand versus the existing 20,000 square foot flex building, you know, that's owned by basically smaller players in, in the space. And most of our stuff, when we look at uh, our building sizes, we don't have 40 foot ceilings. We're not, we're not talking about those kind of assets. If we have 20 foot ceilings and some dock has some ground level access, that's fine. Our users can, fly, you know, they're adaptable to either one of those really. 
So we're seeing we're seeing that as our as our go to target still, and we still see opportunities then even with uh, even with rates rising. You know, rates are rates on, on the debt side are definitely increasing, uh, but it helps a little bit in the sense that it slows down the just the rampant demand. Like, yeah, and industrials have been on such a run for so long, and cap rates have just come lower and lower and lower. That, you know, especially in the in the flex space where we, that we're in, you know, deals trading at four and five cap rates is kind of absurd. Um, so uh, the yeah, we haven't bought any. Yeah. By the way, we have not bought any of those. <laughs> we don't plan to buy any of those. But you know, there have been deals that have transacted in that range, and that's that's a that's a tight margin, even with what debt was when they were doing those. Right. You know, you're ultra close on your spread. And that's just not, uh, we're not necessarily cap rate investors. We're more cash flow investors. So if we can get our, if we can get our cash flow and we can have a spread uh, on a deal that looks solid and we know we have future value growth, that's where we want to be. So we're not, we're not buying solely on cap in cap out uh, transactions. So we can find good spread opportunities. We're going to take them and do it. We don't have too much right now that we're seeing. There's kind of definitely a slowdown this month of like what's coming to coming to market that's in our sweet spot. There's definitely lots of huge stuff, but that's not it's not what we're going for. Or what yeah. we're the flex the flex that we're that we've bought and that we're continuing to look for reminds us of our early basically multifamily days where you're buying from you know either a patriarch or some mom and pop operator that has really kind of milked as much as I can out of the deal, and they're ready to really just move on. Um, and we're able to basically buy those, aggregate them up, you know, put it, put on, you know, professional management, um, onto them and uh, yeah, operate them all for cash flow. Yeah. And almost all of the stuff that we've been talking about, I mean, we just bought our deals in Columbia, South Carolina, and then we have most of our portfolio is here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Atlanta Metro. So those are the two, those are the two core markets that we're operating in right now. I mean, we're looking all over the Southeast and trying to find stuff. But right now, our biggest stuff is really here in Atlanta and then Columbia, South Carolina. And the demand that we're seeing in both of those two markets uh, has put us in a very high occupancy situation with good escalations on our rent and all of our debt uh, is fixed. Mm-hmm. So we have a good, we're in a good position right now with, with cash flow and making continued distributions going forwards. We only see, we only really see our margins improving because. Uh, we have our growth, we have our fixed debt, and a good percentage of our costs are then passed through on CAM. Now, we don't want those, those common area maintenance costs being too high and, and pushing our tenants out because of costs going too high, but everyone in the market is seeing We're not, uh, we don't have necessarily like special sauce that's making uh, our landscaping costs cheaper than someone else's right. when we're doing it. So, yeah. so right now, you know, going forwards, uh, still saying, Narrowly focused on the on the deals that we want to find those smaller flex spaces again the the maybe twenty feet high, uh, the dock doors we can alternate between what we have but we're looking for those and we think we can still find stuff and we're, and we're still seeing debt that's in the five percent range yeah which is not it's reasonable yeah that's you know yes it is not uh, two and a half percent we're never really getting that anyway <laughs> so so five percent is not crazy uh, I think. We're okay at that debt level, and we'll be able to find deals where that debt works. And and again, we're only going to be looking at fixed debt. Whereas we've that's kind of been our bread and butter for for ten years. Even at some points when the floating rates were were certainly uh, probably more attractive. 
right. I know people that did a lot of floating rate earlier and they did just fine on those. And, uh, and we didn't, we've always kind of been fixed rate, uh, debt guys. Control the things you can control. Yep. So we're going to stick with that strategy. We're going to keep looking at getting fixed debt uh, on these deals. The other part that that does with the fixed debt though, is it kind of shortens our acquisition timeframe. Banks in this situation aren't, aren't willing to, uh, give you an interest rate lock for like indefinite amount of time. So it does condense our closing timeline a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah. Some worse. Yeah. yeah. So as as we look forward and, and you know at, for at the properties that we're looking at right now, um, in the next couple of weeks we'll be putting out a deal in uh, off Pleasantdale Road. At, you know, it's which is in the middle of Norcross, which is in the middle of all the other industrial flex deals that we own, with the exception of the one Kennesaw and the Columbia ones. Or, yeah, Covington. We got some other stuff oh, yeah, out there. We have a yeah. Couple. yeah. So um, it's you know it's it's uh, it's really just the traditional deal that we've looked at. It's more rinse, wash, repeat model with, with our flex properties. It's, you know, 50,000 square feet. We're buying for roughly a hundred dollars a square foot. You know, there's some tenants that are great that we're going to keep there and we'll just work on their escalations. There's some tenants we're going to turn over and bring them up to market. And um, yeah. just really more of the same that you've seen from us in the last several deals. Yeah. It's our go-to, our go-to deal on that. I think we're launching that one out on uh, two Thursdays from now. So yep. I think the, the 17th, what is it now? The, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Not sure on yeah. that exactly. <laughs> two Thursdays from now, we're taking that one out. Uh, so we're excited about that one. That's another one we've been able to find in this market that fits uh, exactly into our box. And with all of these, we've been able to make, other than the ones that we did value add on, like we mentioned the Kennesaw deal, where we had nine months of, of vacancy and moving someone in and paying for TI to get that going. Uh, other than those value add ones, we're making distributions on the deals as they're, they're all cash flowing. So, okay, we're going to open it up for questions. Uh, if there's anything else we didn't answer, we've got Melody here too. She's going to. Uh, to go through some thoughts that are out there and see, see what else we can address on the industrial side here. All right. Are you looking to buy fully vacant buildings, then convert or lease the space? Fully vacant. So fully vacant, that's when we talk about having a pretty narrow focus. We want to see some vacancy, but fully vacant so is, a little, is a little off, of, off our radar. Uh, we just feel a lot more comfortable going into something knowing someone is using it for something to start with. Uh, so yeah, so no, we we probably won't be doing anything that's fully vacant. We, we had a Josh is laughing. We, we, had a funny, we had a funny conversation about this yesterday. We were looking at a, a fully vacant, brand new built deal that was completed oh, yeah. nine months ago. And we both just looked at it like, why is it vacant? This is the highest demand flex market in the history of time. It's been sitting for nine months. Why is it vacant? Like, I think Flex got it created about 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we just kind of shrugged our shoulders. Like, I, there's got to be a reason why it's vacant. There's something wrong. I don't know if we care enough to go figure that out on a full Yeah, no, it's already, especially if we, if we can go into any space, there's, there's so many different ways that people are making money out there. There's so many other businesses that you I never even heard of when we're like, oh, we learn something every time we go and see a base that has occupancy in it. And it, and it helps us identify how we're going to build that thing out and gain occupancy. So uh, in the short, no, we probably will not be buying anything that's fully vacant. Yeah, we, we have looked at quite a bit of a full building that was leased by, like the, the doorbell deal was leased by the seller and he was vacating upon our, our purchase, but it was fully built out and he was using it up until the day we closed. Oh, right. So we closed with conditions of, hey, you need to leave so we can release this. Yes. And, and, and at least we leased the whole thing in 60 days. So it worked yeah. out great. All right. So what are the costs associated with converting a big open box to flex? And how do you know which box is a worthy investment? 
So we're doing that with uh, Dawson yep. right now. That's on the game plan there. And um, two parts to that question. One, we're taking something that's like 20 or 30 or 40,000 square feet, dividing that into smaller suites. One, the building has to be laid out so that you can, everyone can access kind of in the front and then leave in the back. Right? So you've got to have this through mentality of working it. Occasionally you can sneak in the side doors or something like that. But first, the building's got to be set up to be able to do that. Right? that, that that's kind of key. Mm-hmm. And lots of things. I mean, that means each suite needs a bathroom. Right? You need to have plumbing, electrical divided out uh, for each one. And sometimes we look at a lot of these buildings and that stuff has already actually in place and it, and it lends itself to be more adaptable. So that's when we say, is this building good for it? Well, sometimes a lot of that has already been done. So we can take what's there and really work with it to enable this uh, flex conversion to happen. Uh, the cost associated with that. It's, it's a balancing act between two parts of the cost. The first is just doing the division. But the second is the tenant. Right. And, you know, a lot of the costs, you know, the warehouse is the warehouse. We're not really changing the walls or the depths or anything like that. It's really building out that 30% office and how much that tenant really wants to build out. In general, we're budgeting give or take $25 a square foot. So basically take it from a shell to divide it up to put 30% office into. And um, that, that's, you know, that seems to be working and that's been our approach with this project. Right. We've so done far. it on a couple. Yeah. We've done it on a couple of them now. Uh, and that has held true. But then also the tenant is going to go in and do their own thing with that space too. So they'll probably add some more spend into that footprint to make it more what they want on the inside there. If if e-commerce slows down or spending slows down in a recession, will that stop new demand for these type of assets? Assets. Uh, Well, so on our side, I mean, on on the one on the larger side, the news we're going to hear about, I think, I think yes. Right. You, you know, if Amazon isn't going to sign any more leases because they're more going to optimize what they currently have versus it just blatantly expanding. I see it anytime you think about or, or even talk about, hey, there's going to be a slowdown. As soon as you start talking about it, you're already mentally preparing for it. And you're thinking about what am I going to do in my business to more optimize what I have versus just expand because, hey, I think I'm going to use the space eventually. So I would say most people are going to look to, optimize what they have. And even when we look at our uh, tenants that are, that are more like small businesses or, or localized distribution, you look at an HVAC company, they're going to just optimize how they're using that current space as opposed to uh, expanding into, into new space. That being said, that, that doesn't mean that all expansion is, is off, off the table and no new businesses are going to do anything. Like that's, that's an economy that's stopped. I don't think... Even a recession, there's still things are happening and growth is happening. So our spaces, the, the thing that we're focused most on is that there's just not a lot of supply. If you want to get into a flex space, you still need to act pretty darn quickly. There's not a lot of it out there and there's barely any of it being built. Um, a submitted question regarding debt. Do the interest rates typically follow the two, five or 10 year treasury? For which the curve is currently inverted. Probably close. We're generally doing five-year debt. It probably closest follows closest to the five-year treasury, with a spread on that. Um, banks manufacture their own swap rate, which 
somewhat follows the five-year treasury as well, but that's probably the, the most. Um, so the five-year treasury spikes, it's probably going to cause other things to spike, which is going to drive up interest rates. But then what happens is they start softening spreads. So for example, we were looking at um, multifamily earlier today and um, the spread on multifamily that they would, they would put a spread on the five or the 10 or the seven or the 10 year treasury. And they would generally be 230 to 250 basis points. And now it's come down to about 160 to 190 basis points because the treasuries have run up so much. We saw that, we saw that in 2020 across the board where spreads were huge. Mm-hmm. It was like, they're over 300 points. It's like, what the heck? Right. Like, that's a big spread. Like, where, what is going on? And that was that was on all assets that we were seeing these huge spreads. And now, even though rates have come up, right? Even even when we track the three, the five, the ten, whatever, the, um, the spread that's being quoted to us on the debt term is now a lot a lot more compressed against all three of them. Yes, but uh, we're tracking the five year too because most of our loans track against the weighted average lease unless we have one tenant that's like a right. dominant force in that, in that space, which we don't typically have in our industrial deals. We don't really have large scale credit tenants that are driving the loan mm-hmm. in our type of industrial flex. So more it's the average lease term that we're going into with tenants. And we're typically signing, you know, we're targeting five-year leases. Occasion we'll get a seven, targeting five. Mm-hmm. So most of our debt is tied, is on that five-year term as well, which then matches the five-year five-year treasury. So I, I think that is probably specific to us versus the market as a whole mm-hmm. that we're trending in this, in this, we're playing in the five-year space. Yeah. And then it's most of our lenders are community banks. This is a community banks lend. Um, the other metric they follow is uh, what's the new name for LIBOR? SOFR? Oh, I know like they're going to get rid of LIBOR. They're going to, that's been on the table forever. Yeah. So I think but, SOFR is a, I can't remember what it stands for, but uh, it's a spread on SOFR. Um, but it, but you can also trend LIBOR, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, <laughs> it won't be a couple guys in a room, yeah, arbitrarily change the rate up and down to make money. But um, no, when we look at Wall Street Journal rate too. Yep. that's another one that that comes into play uh, on how we're, how these things are quoted for us. Yep. And our process question: quarterly reports are dated for the end of June, but when do distributions actually arrive? This one's a recurring theme. <laughs> That we're getting out kind of at the end of the quarter here on how our distribution process works. Uh, the, the first part, we, we've we really tried to be consistent in making sure that our information goes out on the 20th, uh, the 20th day following the end of quarter. And then typically we're doing our, our live streams, we're doing presentations and discussion on it about a week or two later. This one we waited and did it a little longer because of the Fed meeting on the 26th and 27th. We want to do this after that meeting. But for the most part, when we close our quarter, we, we put our distribution notices in Juniper, our investment management platform. Uh, we do that for the end of June. So they show up as happening or occurring at the end of June. They really don't go out until the 20th uh, day after the end of the quarter. And for the most part, they're going to take a day or two to hit uh, your bank account. So they'll be typically around the 21st or 22nd that you'll see those distributions hit. And those are all the questions that have been submitted. All right. Well, thank you for, we had some good questions. Thank you for the participation and uh, thanks for tuning in on the industrial segment and we'll see you all soon. Thanks everyone.